0: So as I said, this is our um, final week of 1 John, and we're going to be focusing in on the fourth chapter, and the theme for us today is God is love. We've seen over the last six weeks just a beautiful, beautiful deepness of Scripture, deepness of truth, deepness of what John in his letters trying to reveal to us about who God is, particularly that revelation that who's been revealed, the one who is both fully God and fully human a powerful, powerful understanding of who our God is. And from that, we've seen other themes emerge like light and belief and obedience and sin. These things have been part of this whole series. And I encourage you to go back if you haven't had the chance or you've missed some of the weeks. But friends, as we look at our final week and our God is love theme, I have a request for you. It's just something I'm wondering if you'd be prepared to do. And there's an obligation, but here it is. I'll just put it right up here out front for you. I'll explain it like this. Our society, I believe, is infatuated by love. It's not really a new thing. I think for generations, society has been infatuated by love. From from what it is to grow up with Disney movies as a toddler right through to every other possible genre of music or theatre or art or literature... There is something about society that is infatuated with love. We long to find it, we fight to keep it, everyone has an opinion about it, and no one seems to be able to get enough of it. And so my request, my ask this morning, is I'm wondering if you would consider wiping your love slate clean, kind of metaphorically speaking. Would you just wipe clean the things that society and the world might have been teaching you or that you might have just come to think was normal or true about love? And as we do for the next 20 minutes, we want Jesus, through his word, to speak to us about what the Bible says about love. Would you be willing to do that? I know it's a bit brave, but I'm just wondering if you'd come come with me on that journey. Um, And John begins uh, with some profound things. He starts off by saying to us that, uh, let us love one another. He, He gives to us this call to do something so incredibly important, but we're actually going to cycle back to this sort of towards the end of the passage, because that's what John will do. But firstly, let's begin by thinking about love is from God. Love is from God. That's what we read here. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God what does that really mean it means doesn't it that love is at the most inner being at the at god's innermost being is love at his most inner deepest part god is love and from that love flows love is given love love abounds love abounds from that innermost part of god's being and then uh, John goes on to say, everyone who is born, everyone, sorry, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born, go, born of God and knows God. Now, I'm just wondering, everyone, now that's an interesting position that John is taking and it reminds me of other times through the series that we've had to stop and just be quite careful about how we're interpreting the scripture here. Be careful that we don't take it sort of out of context, but actually speak of it and understand it within the thinking that John has and within the framework John has for us in this passage. Because I don't think that John really means that everybody um, who loves is born of God. I don't actually think that he means that, because that might suggest that regardless of what you believe, you could be born of God. I don't think that's what John is saying to us. And what we've learnt through these weeks is that John actually has some tests for how we can think about it and come to it. The context that John gives these statements is the context of three key things. Firstly, our beliefs. Secondly, our obedience. And thirdly, our love, or God's love in this case. So within that context, I think it's in John's mind that genuine faith in Christ will manifest itself. Genuine believing, genuine knowing God will manifest itself in love and obedience. That's what he's saying here. That's what he means when he speaks of everyone. And I think that he also has in his mind that a spiritual child, us as the children of God, will actually resemble, will have a likeness to our Father God, to the parent, to the divine parent. So here we read, firstly, that love comes from God. It comes from God's innermost being, that everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And thirdly, here's what we can read, that God is love. God is love. God, love is at the very nature of who God is. Love is at the center of who God is. Um, Our um, commentary that I spent a lot of time in this week, uh, which is written by uh, John Stott, he actually says this. He says, God's love is free, uncaused and spontaneous. What an amazing way to think about God's love. God doesn't need to see something or, or be part of something or act in some way to then suddenly feel love for it. God's love is free and it flows and it's not caused, it's uncaused. It doesn't need something to make it happen, so to speak. And it is entirely spontaneous in the way that it's given. Uh, this uh, writer, this um, commentator also says that God's love is the author and the source of all true affection. Really, significantly though, for us to remember here this morning as we unpack more of what John is saying, is that God's love is entirely self-giving. It is entirely self-giving and self-sacrificing. God's love is entirely self-giving and self-sacrificing. We'll come back to a little bit more of that in a moment too. All of God's actions are loving actions. Did you know that? For God to be love. To say that God is love means that all of God's actions are loving. Even as God judges, that judging is done in love, an incredible love. And we also know that this love, for for God to be love, it means that there is a perfect loving relationship existing between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this loving relationship has existed since before the foundation of the world. So God, Father... Son and Holy Spirit, the triune God can be summed up. From what we read today, it can be summed up as love. That this is the magnificent essence and nature of God as we read about it today, that it can be summed up as love. Interestingly though, or significantly I should say, humanity, people, you and I, we don't possess love by our nature love isn't at our innermost being to love or to be loving is not automatic or even like this really natural attribute that we possess because self-regard and self-centeredness is actually at the heart of humanity to be human is to be born into sin this is actually our reality Sin is our inherited characteristic. And John, in his letter, has actually talked with us about this already. That sin is a reality for us. You know, I could do the most marvellous things in life. I could give away all of my possessions. I could give away everything to the poor. I could become an incredible scholar and know everything about a particular field of expertise, maybe more than any other person knows on the planet. I could be incredibly spiritual. I could speak the language of angels. I could interpret every near-death experience somebody might have. I, I, could, I could hand over my body to martyrdom, to some great cause, but without God's love All this, as good as it may seem, is marred by sin and is motivated still by self-regard and self-gain. Friends, that's what Paul describes to us, the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we have a friend of this church. Um, His name is Mike Pilavacci. I'm sure that you've heard of him. And um, I remember him speaking, and I remember him speaking about the reality of sin uh, he was speaking at a, at a conference, and he was sharing about how, how when he was a new Christian, um, he made a New Year's resolution, and that New Year's resolution was that, as of midnight on New Year's, yeah, midnight on New Year's Eve, that he would no longer sin. He would no longer sin, and so he kind of said, he says, "Oh look, I got all the sin out of my system on New Year's Eve." got all of the sin out of his system, did away with it, let it all happen, and then come midnight on New Year's Eve, the New Year's resolution would take effect and he would cease to sin. And then he said, friends, you need to know, for eight whole hours, I didn't sin. Remarkable. For eight whole hours, I didn't sin. And then I woke up, he said. And then I woke up. And then I woke up and realized the reality that I can't not sin. As much as I would try, as much as I would make New resolutions, as much as like, it would just be so good if I couldn't sin, the reality was like, I sinned. And actually this is also true for us, right? That as followers of Jesus, we sin. Uh, and what we need to do about that is just one quite simple thing, and that is to simply admit our sin rather than deny it. For Christians, or in the Bible language, admitting our sin is something that we call confessing. And the Bible says that if we confess or acknowledge our sin before God, acknowledging that we are sinners both in nature and in practice, God will indeed, God will remove the debt and the stain of sin, and he will forgive us. How, how amazing is that? They are our words of assurance that God will forgive. And he forgives us because of the cross. He forgives us because the cross of Jesus Christ was the grounds on which God forgives because the blood of Jesus was shed, that he might be, that Jesus might be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And that's just what John is now going on to talk to us about in verses 9 and 10. He says this, that this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his one and only son into the world. Throughout the Bible, from Genesis at the very beginning right through to the end of the New Testament revelation, we actually are able to see what God's love is like. We see it described We see it in stories, we see it in accounts, we see it from uh, both creation and then into the story of Abraham and the calling of Abraham and the promises that God fulfilled to the descendants of Abraham. We see it in God's unfailing love to Abraham's descendants, God's provision to what is now the nation of Israel, God's protection of what is the nation of Israel and God's redemption of Israel. But you know what? Where we see the greatest um, expression, the greatest display of God's love, the greatest description ever known is we see it in the gift of God's Son. This was the greatest. This is what theologians call the preeminent display of God's love being made known to us. That the coming of Jesus Christ into the world happened, importantly, in a historical time and place. Concretely and historically, Jesus Christ came into the world. God sent him to the, son of, to the cross of Calvary under the reign of Pontius Pilate. This is a historical, concrete, reliable fact that happened at a point in history. There has never been, nor will there ever be, a greater self-giving than God's gift of his son to us. There will never be, ever, have there been, or will there be since, a greater self-giving than God's gift of his son. And what does self-giving mean? Well, it actually means seeking another's good at one's cost. It's seeking another's good at one's cost. At one's own cost. And what was this cost? This cost was that in order that there be an atoning sacrifice for our sins, the only begotten son of God shed his blood at the cross. God historically loved. This is so important for us to realize. This is so important as John is teaching his precious churches that this happened in a point in time for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God continues to love. God loved and continues to love because this is the essence of who God is. And importantly, as we read in verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us. He loved us. We love church because he first loved us that is remarkable god loved first god loved first i find this like the least complicated thing to understand about scripture and to understand about god and i find it the most important thing i can possibly ever know that god loved us first that he first loved us and he loved us first he loved us first. He didn't love us because we got fixed up or because we're lovable or because we're lovely. He loves because he loves, because he loves, because he loves. He loved first. He loves us first. And I guess it's been our prayer during this whole series and indeed the, you know, the prayer of my heart really ever since I've been a pastor is that the people that are part of the church, that are part of our lives, that are part of our family would actually know that truth, would actually know that, that some of us have really broken stuff. I have a broken story. I have real struggles. Yet he loves us not when we're fixed and he loves us not when we get everything right. He doesn't love us for any other reason, except for the reason is he just wants to love us. We are his children. We are his creation, and it's who he is to love us. And friends, God's love is so vast. In Ephesians three, you know, uh, Paul tries to describe it, and he and he kind of just has to say, look, it is just so wide, and so deep, and so high, and so long. God's love is so vast. It's actually beyond for us what we can truly comprehend. It's something that his spirit reveals to us. It's something that his spirit shows us, this love, this vastness of his love. And so I just pray and ask today, do you know? Do you know this love? Have you received this love? As I mentioned, when I, when I um, first came to faith, so many parts of my life were a mess, I'd had 21 years of the world teaching me and telling me what love is like. I had a broken story. I had significant challenge that I needed to overcome. I had much to learn and much to grow in. I had times when I doubted and I doubted whether I even loved God. But just knowing that God loved me because he loved me And for no other reason that he just loved me. Was what got me through. It kept me going. It took me through that season and many seasons like that since. Friends, have you received this love? Has it occurred to you that he loves us? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And for no other reason. John goes on to say, beloved, since God so loved us, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. And this was, you know, this was given to us really at the beginning of our reading, as I mentioned before. We hear here that we cannot love our brothers and sisters, we cannot love one another unless we first receive God's love for us. We cannot in any way give love to something or someone or be loving as God loves apart from a relationship with God. Remember that God's love is self-sacrificing. It is utterly self-giving. And the greatness of it, the greatness of that self-giving, self-sacrificing love was on display at the cross. It was shown in Jesus Christ And there's a massive challenge for us here today. There's a massive challenge for us that when such a divine action, such an incredible display of God's love is seen for us on the cross, it lays upon us an obligation to love like that. To love like that. Paul also affirms this obligation to us he says in second corinthians chapter 5 verse 15 and he died he being christ he died for all so that those who live might might live no longer for themselves but for him who died and was raised for them he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves friends we can't both live for ourselves and love with God's love. We need to die to ourselves. It's actually in the brokenness of who we are and in the coming to God in that brokenness and receiving what the Lord did for us at the cross, it's in that that we are actually set free to love. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible that that God's love can be so real and so seen for us but yet so freeing for us that enables us to love other people that our dying to self that our taking up of our cross our following Jesus obediently faithfully day by day is what it takes is all that it takes for us to be free that we might love others And there is really an important difference here for us too to understand between liking and loving because liking belongs to sort of the whole realm of feelings and sentiments and even like common interests and things like that. John is explaining to us here that love is not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's to adopt a certain attitude. It is to be like Christ towards others. And this is why the New Testament has really no problem in stressing to us that we ought to love. And we ought to love not as a matter of feeling, but as a command of Jesus. And Jesus gave us just this one command. Before Jesus died on the cross, he gave us just one command. And he speaks about it twice in the Gospel of John. In John 13, it says this, A new command I give to you, love one another as i have loved you so you must love one another and by this will everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another and then in john 15 just two chapters later john actually explains in vivid detail really what it is to love like this he says this no greater has no so no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Here's the question that I'm asking even myself. Can we love? Can we be love like what's being described for us? Can we be love like what is shown on the cross for us? Can we be that? Well, I think the answer is a resounding yes. It requires, though, that we live crucified lives cross-shaped lives that we might indeed fulfill that command to love one another and in doing so we must take up the cross to follow Christ Paul goes on to say I'm sorry John goes on to say that no one has ever seen God no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us wow I think that uh, here John is saying that the God who revealed himself in the Son, God who revealed himself in the Son now reveals himself in his people if they are willing to love one another. I'll say it again, that God who revealed himself in his Son now reveals himself in his people if and when we are willing to love one another. This kind of means that That when I love Anna, God's love is seen in our love for each other because my love is God's love imparted in dwelling in me by his spirit. Therefore, our love is evidence of God's indwelling spirit. Our love that is unseen to the human eye but is present amongst us by God's indwelling spirit. Isn't that incredible? That God is present here as we love each other. Like, doesn't that just stir up your enthusiasm and your expectation around what happens when we are together as God's people? Doesn't it stir you up whenever you pray that beautiful little prayer or say that scripture, when two or more are gathered in his name? God is there indwelling us. God's love is seen and God's love shines forth. Look, I think that changes everything. I think that changes everything about who we are and what God's doing in our midst even right now. What happens when we leave from here, when we move out into the courtyard and we fellowship and we talk and we share about what God's been doing in our life and we then take that into the community, into the shopping centres or into our families and into our workplaces. Friends, this is incredible. What can happen because we show love for one another and that God indwells us in that and makes it visible, that God's love does shine forth, that God's love shines forth. Is there anything, do you think, that could be more important than that? Can you think of anything that the world more desperately needs or even that here at church we more desperately need than to show forth Christ by being so unmistakably indwelt by christ living in us that people just cannot but see god but see god church some time ago um in a previous uh, placement that i was in uh Myself and my husband, Mike, and our family, we were called to go and plant a church. We were sent out from um, a church in Pittwater and we were called to go and plant a church in, again, on the northern beaches, not too far away. And uh, this one of the things that were wonderful about the location of this church uh, that God began to unpack for us and help us to see the significance of was that the church um, fence was right next door to a backpackers hostel and as we were praying and preparing and building a team around what um god would have us do as part of this church plan as we would seek to proclaim jesus and witness to jesus in the community that we would actually see the backpackers as such a crucial part of that witness and part of that mission and we were very very excited about this and so um we got to know the owners of the, of the hostel and we began to share stories about what it might look like for us to do things together um, and the owner was very receptive of this. And then um, we began to get to know the backpackers and we discovered that Tuesday night seemed to be a great night to do something. It was kind of like the night where they often didn't have other stuff on. Uh, These uh, people on these um, tourist visas needed to be heading into the city to do English language classes and they were trying to do different types of tourist stuff and all that kind of thing. They surfed a lot as well, let's face it, they surfed a lot. Um, But actually, we discovered that Tuesday night was the night to get together and so we started something called streetball. Streetball is kind of like fast-paced, three-on-three, half-court basketball one basketball hoop, uh, one car park with no cars in it, and we were ready to go. And so we added to that a barbecue. We fired up the barbecue, and on Tuesday nights, we did streetball. And streetball was a time when the backpackers could come and hang out. They would uh, bring a lot of energy. They would bring a, they were often very fit and young, so it was really a fast-paced kind of time of running around and then just, just sharing meal together. But you know, one of the challenges that we had with backpackers and streetball was that the backpackers bought a lot of stuff with them when they came to streetball. They always bought an Esky. Hydration's good, right? Uh, They always bought an Esky, they bought marijuana, and they bought music machine a ghetto blaster type of music machine type things whatever the backpacker hostel had it was old right it may have even been a cassette who knows but the music was horrendous it was full of very colorful language very colorful language and for my husband and I and for our three kids who weren't going to miss a bit of this who felt so called to being part of what what God was doing for our core team who came and served and committed and turned sausages and played ball and did all the things shared with one another Um, set up, packed down, all that sort of thing. This was a really important time and we actually just had to um, acknowledge that they came with stuff. We had to kind of acknowledge that we would love them exactly how God brought them to us. And there'd be funny conversations because I remember, you know, um, Hannah, my daughter, would say, Mom, what's that kind of sweet-smelling, smoky stuff? (laughs) And Harry loved the music, like he just had never heard anything like that before, right? So he was, he was pretty keen. Um, but, but the thing we discovered about these backpackers, and the thing that was so strongly on our heart, was that every one of these people would simply know that they were loved by God. And that God loved first. That God loved them first. God first loved them. That was what we needed them to know. That was all we wanted them to know. Everything after that would be a bonus because of course there's a transient about backpackers, they come and they go. But anyway, street ball continued to happen and it was it was very fun and it was a highlight of our week. And it didn't take very long before there were no eskies anymore. There was no sweet-smelling smoke and there was no music. And we started to realize that this community was, well, the backpackers started to realize that this was a community that was welcoming and loving. And this community wasn't going to judge them, but this community was going to actually shine forth God's love. Because they were aware, we were aware, that we live in a world where so many people think that nobody really knows me. And if they did know me, would they possibly accept me? And I think that they were wondering to themselves as they came along to ball with all their stuff, would I be accepted here? Would I belong? If someone was to really get to know me, would they actually love me and care for me? And I think that in that environment, these backpackers found answers to those questions because they were able to see that we loved one another. They were able to see that we actually loved and adored one another, that we loved being a family, that we loved to weep together and cry together and everything in between together. They loved to see that we're a committed bunch of people, committed to a love and a love that they saw, a love that they saw because it shone forth in us, a love that they saw. That was transforming for them, and a love that actually brought them to a place of faith, of personal faith in them. Hallelujah. And that they would then go back to their countries in time and be able to take that faith with them, go back to their families, go back to their places of study and of work. Transformed. Transformed by God's love, transformed because they were part of an incredible family, God's family. Not not our church planting family. That wasn't what it was about. It was about being part of God's incredible family. I think this is the point of the exercise for John. He's saying that God's love is given full expression by his indwelling in the hearts and the minds of his people by his spirit. And that genuine love of God is invisible to the human eye. But the outward evidence of that love shines forth. The outward evidence of that love shines forth. So friends, where have we been? God is love. God loved us first. We love because he first loved us. And at the cross, there has never been, nor will there ever be a greater act of self-giving love than the gift of God's son. We love God in return, and we indeed ought to love one another. We shine forth God's love in a broken world, by being a gracious community of healing and acceptance, a community that proclaims the gospel in word and in action. Would you please stand with me? Friends, if you're with us online, I just invite you to just prepare yourselves now where you are for some ministry time as we do that here in the room. I just want to ask those questions again that I've been asking through this message and just make room and space for what God's doing in our midst. Just ask that question again. Do you know God's love? Do you know that he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you and for no other reason? Do you know that he's not waiting for you to get something fixed? or sorted, or resolved. He says that this loving from the beginning is on him. And he seeks to pour that love out in our midst. I'm wondering if you're not a Christian, if this is a family that you want to join, that this is a community of healing and of acceptance that you want to be a part of. And so I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus And if this is your first time, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And even if there's just one person here, that is something to so celebrate. So celebrate that there might be one person here who receives maybe for the first time God's incredible love. God's love because he loves without any reason other than to love. And for the rest of us, maybe it's an opportunity to receive his love afresh on this day of Pentecost, to be to receive a fresh infilling. To receive a fresh infilling. So let's try and do both those things at once. I'm going to pray, and if this is a prayer you're praying for the first time, would you be so brave as to put your hands out in front of you? And if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit afresh this morning, would you also put your hands out in front of you? And I'm going to pray and I'm going to pr- try and pray it slowly. For those of you online, I invite you into this time to pray, to pray after me these words. It's just a simple prayer of invitation between you and your creator, the one who loves you, the one who calls you, the one who wants to fill you. So let's pray. Pray after me. Jesus, thank you that you came to show me what God's love is like. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that 2,000 years ago you came to earth. You took my sin, my pain, and my mess. You wore it like a coat. You took it onto yourself at the cross. You rose from the dead that I might have life, forgive me for my selfish living, I give you my life now, would you be my King and my Lord and my friend and my Father? Would you come into my heart by your Holy Spirit and fill me afresh? And we ask that this would be the beginning of a friendship that will last forever. We thank you, Lord God. We give you all praise and glory, Lord. We offer ourselves again to you in worship. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Friends, would you continue? Would you continue to stay in this place? Would you continue as we worship and song together?